I want to read, read to you our first reading from the Book of Wisdom because that's what my homily is going to be based on is from that reading. So here it is. The wicked say, let us beset the just one because he is obnoxious to us. He sets himself against our doings, reproaches us for transgressions of the law, and charges us with violations of our training. Let us see whether his words be true. Let us find out what will happen to him. For if the just one be the son of God, God will defend him and deliver him from the hand of his foes. With revilement and torture, let us put the just one to the test, that we may have proof of his gentleness and try his patience. Let us condemn him to a shameful death, for according to his own words, God will take care of him. Today, Jesus tells his apostles, this is what's going to happen to me, guys. They're not only going to lie about me and slander me and accuse me, but they're going to torture me and put me to death. Why? Because I'm good, and they're evil, and evil must destroy good. It's just what it is. As Christians, we have a really hard time with that. We naturally think, oh, you know, but if you're a Christian, it's all good news. The word gospel is the Greek word for good news. This is good news that we have salvation. This is good news that our lives have meaning. This is good news that God loves us. There's good news that God has created something called heaven and we can live there for eternity. It's all good news. Why would anyone want to stone me for that? Why, why does anyone want to tear me down for living that life? All right. There's been the fundamental struggle between heaven and hell that took place before Adam and Eve were created, the fall of the angels. But when the angels that fell, Satan and his minions fell, God said, God had cast them down to earth, so the scriptures say. We like to think they're cast into hell, but the scriptures say they're cast under. Satan watched Adam be made. He sat there watching him be made out of the dirt of the earth as he plotted how he would tempt him into sin and to make him fall with him. There's been this huge war going on since, well, since time began. Since time began. And we're caught up in it. And it might be very foreign to our way of thinking that anyone would intentionally want to hurt other people. But the fallen angels and everyone in hell really do want to hurt other people. They want all of us to suffer, not only in this life, but they want all of us to suffer eternally in hell. It's a mind-blower for us. It's a very foreign concept. But we need to understand them for what they are and for what they're trying to do. Jesus says of Satan that he's three things. It's really worth your while to memorize these three things because we see them in other people all the time. That Satan is a liar, an accuser, and a murderer. And he has been from the beginning. Liar, accuser, and murderer. All right. When I first became a priest, I remember for a few years there, I was always wondering why certain people would kind of go like this when they would see me and kind of avoid me and whatnot. And I, I always thought, well, it must have been something I said in the homily and I, or something I said in the confessional, and I'd kind of rack my brain for how I messed up and try to you know, find out from them or from one of their friends or somebody why you know, they weren't comfortable with me sort of thing. Finally, I realized, well, it's because there's something about me that just causes their conscience to feel guilty, that they're sinners, and there's some sin that they're clinging to, and they're not overcoming it, or they maybe are not even trying to. 
or there's some belief that they have that they know is contrary to Christ and his church, but they still cling to it because for some reason. And when they see me, they feel guilty because I, as a priest, represent God and whatever kind of thing. It took me a few years to get it, to understand that. It took me even years longer when the 80-year-old woman is berating me for being so unpastoral and such, such a bigot and such a rigid whatever and da-da-da. And I'm just, uh, just thinking, I'm a horrible priest. I should never become a priest. It looks like I'm doing more harm than good. And, you know, and then I go and examine it and I talk to my priest friends about what was done. And finally I realize that 80-year-old woman is really wicked. I mean, I, I can believe it. I was raised to believe that my elders are all good people and I'm supposed to respect them and, and all of that. And when you're 80 years old, you're magically sinless and there's no more pride and vanity or anything else going on with you. That, that was really, really hard for me to come to that understanding. That there are people who are opposed to me because of who I am. The Antifa people would physically assault me. Just a month ago, I think it's just a month ago, there was a prayer group in the park in downtown Portland. Peaceful prayers, like a Sunday morning or something. Antifa shows up and they physically assault these people. Uh, Oregon Public Broadcasting or radio or whatever, and, all, and the local news station said, a far-right group was challenged in the park today. No, some Christians were peacefully praying and some anarchists physically assaulted them. But that's not what the news said. The news said, no, the far-right activists, some people showed up to protest these far-right activists. There's a total satanic lie in which NPR presented that. And it's satanic. It really was. God is a change agent. Why is he a change agent? Because earth, the world, was given to the enemy. It was given to the enemy. He fell from heaven down to earth. We can see over and over again how this is his place. Jesus says as much. If my kingdom were of this world, legions of angels would be coming. But my kingdom is not of this world. When Satan is tempting him in the wilderness, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, if you bow down to me, I'll give them to me given to you because they've been given to me. The world isn't completely bad, but Satan has a special power here that we need to be aware of. And so when Christ comes into the world to change this dynamic, Satan, using people as he does, does his very best to stop this change from happening. And Jesus says, <clears throat> I wish to set the world on fire, and oh, how I wish it were already burning. Unless we think Jesus is this cozy, harmonious, uniting peace giver, Jesus goes on to say, I came to divide. A father from a son, and a mother from her daughter, and brothers and sisters. I am a divider. I am the truth. And this world given to the enemy cannot handle the truth, and will always be in opposition to me. And so here we've got these people. The wicked say, let us get the good guy. Let us get the good guy. The good guy might just be in the wilderness minding his own business. Why do you need to go in the wilderness and get the good guy? Just knowing that he exists bothers my conscience. I don't want that good guy existing. He, even though he might not say anything, it just bothers me that he exists Let's slander him at the minimum. Let's lie and accuse him. 
And then if he ever does come around, let's be sure to kill him. And this is the world that we live in. It's really important to understand these things. And this is the world that the enemy controls. And so he uses popular society, as he always has, to persecute traditional Christians. And I have to use the prefix of traditional before Christian because so many Christians have completely sold out. They just are pro-abortion choice, they're pro-sodomy choice, they're whatever, and they call themselves Christians. They're not Christians anymore. Not even close. Whether it was the Roman Empire and killing all those Christians, or it's the communists in China today, or the Muslims, or whatever, or it's just the atheists and the, the whatever who just cancel you out of your job and out of your reputation and, and out of your livelihood or whatever. Society has always been the enemies. And where the enemy lost control of society, he works really hard to regain it, kind of thing. Facebook will no longer allow pro-life ads. They will allow Planned Parenthood and other pro-abortion ads on Facebook, but no more pro-life. The social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all the like, of which I'm on none of them, praise God, are just simply doing the enemy's work. They're doing the enemy's work. The first work they're doing is getting all kinds of people to spend way too much time on it, which is not what God has in mind for us. And it truly melts a child's brain. Know that, parents. Pharisees blamed Jesus and his disciples for wrongdoing when it was the Pharisees themselves who were in the wrong. Before I move on, do any of us ever do that? When we feel like there's something that somebody else is doing and we're, we get mad at them and da-da-da, is it really us? Are we really the one at fault? When our parents say to their teenagers or whatever, I want you to do this, and they get so mad, is it really the parents who are at fault or is it the teenager? As adults, when the church says, no, this is sexual morality, this is truth, and we will be held accountable on our day of judgment for it, and we get so mad at the messenger for that message, saying they were unpastoral and rigid and whatever. Who's really at fault? Is it the messenger or is it the one who doesn't want to live that truth? And it goes on and on, but at least in our own selves, do I need to blame myself? That's the first place we begin. But after looking at that, parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters who have lived the truth and spoken it to somebody else to their great anger. Be at peace. Be at peace. We've all experienced that. Or most of us have experienced that. And when we do experience that, we know that they are feeling very threatened because they're not with God. So when the husband goes, I'm not going to church, it doesn't do anything for me, and da-da-da-da, and then you go, and, and he's okay with that, but on your vacation, you say, well, I still need to go to Mass, and he gets so mad, why are we going to Mass? You're just ruining the vacation, da-da-da. That's on him. When your adult kids go, I'm not going to church, you forced it down my throat, da-da-da, you're the reason why. No, you're not. They are. When we die, there's complete and total honesty. 
There's no more blaming or pointing fingers at anyone else. When we die and we stand before Jesus at our final judgment, we just go, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm completely wrong. Every single sin I did, I did it. It's all on me. I can't blame my parents or grandparents or my brothers and sisters. I can't blame priests. I can't blame anyone else. I can only blame me. I can only blame me. And even the souls in purgatory don't resent where they're at. They're so grateful. Even if their place in purgatory, if their suffering there is great, they still say, this is exactly where I need to be right now. This is truth. There are no more lies in eternity. This is truth. And this is God's mercy. Because without it, I would never have made it. I would be burning forever with the enemy. But God is so loving and merciful. Be courageous in your own little world. And all of us have a little world. My world is very little. When I compare it to the Archbishop or the Pope, my world is very little. Your world is very little. But in that very little world, we can make a big difference in people's lives. But we have to be like Jesus and his apostles and share the truth of Christ and the moral truths of Christ with other people. Knowing that it will upset them. Knowing that it might even hurt their relationship a little bit. But knowing that it might be the thing that saves them on their day of judgment. It might be that something that we said in their anger and their recoil was the very thing that before they died... They said that was truth, and I acknowledge it, and I'm sorry for my sins. I finish with one beautiful story that I've shared with you multiple times, but it's worth sharing annually. When I was pastor in a former parish, it was the beginning of the school year, as I did every year with the school parents. There was a school parent meeting kind of thing, and I'd get up there and talk, and I'd say, you know, what's the purpose of a Catholic school? It's not to, uh, to prepare your children for college. No, it's not an alternative to the public school. You want to get your kids out of the public school so they don't have to go to school at the riffraff. No, the reason for Catholic schools is to help your children to become practicing Catholics for life. That's why we exist. And if we're not doing that, we should just close our doors and stop spending millions of dollars of your dollars, not taxpayer dollars, of your dollars. And it was always so upsetting for, for some teachers and for some parents. For others, it was, thank you, God, that he's saying this. But for others, it was very upsetting. They didn't want to hear that they had to go to Mass on Sunday. Half, this is a dirty secret, it's known by all, but half of the Catholic parents who have their children in Catholic schools don't go to Mass on Sunday. They think, well, my kid goes to a Catholic school, so that's good enough, so that they don't go to Mass on Sunday. It's madness, but that's literally how half of them think. And so I said, that's not okay. It's not okay. You will be held responsible in some regard for your children's faith on the day of your judgment. Well, you can imagine the squirming of some parents and what have you. One in particular folded her arms and just gave me the dagger looks. So mad at me. So mad at me. Months later, she was in my office just reading me the riot act. Who do I think I am? Blah, 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 blah. Just tearing into me. Within a year, she had a profound conversion. 
two years later, she was one of the best volunteers in the parish and a daily mass goer. Her seven-year-old child who was not baptized was baptized. And she said, you are the reason why. Someone had the courage to tell me the truth. Nobody else would. And I hated you for it. But I came to know that it was the truth. And those words changed my life. We don't know the impact of the things that we say and do upon other people. But we do have an impact. And when we say and do the right things, even when the other doesn't necessarily want it, it can have a profoundly good impact upon them. We just don't know, and we're not in control of knowing. But what we do know for sure is that there will be no positive impact if we're all cowards, if we all just stay silent because that's the more comfortable thing to do. That's not pastoral. That's not helpful. Stand with Jesus. Go boldly with him to Calvary. Let everyone see that you're one of his, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't worry about what other people think of you. The only one that counts is what God thinks of you. Don't worry about what others think of you. Go boldly to Calvary with Jesus. You might be surprised that there might be somebody on the way who sees you and says, well, if he can do it, I can do it. I'm going to fall in too, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And then there might be somebody who sees him do it and think, well, if he can do it, I can do it too. But it begins somewhere. Jesus has prepared for us a kingdom beyond our imagination. If in this life we'll pick up our cross, if in this life we will let others know what the truth is and do it in love and with sensitivity, but to do it, it'll be amazing the blessings that will come forth from it.